0: This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Maxwood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current in a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers. Plus, we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at newbieRemoteconf.com.:
1: Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 254 of The Freelancer Show. On today's panel, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. And Philip Morgan. Howdy. And Jonathan Stark. Hello. And I'm Ruben Lerner, and we are going to be speaking this week about fairness in pricing. Jonathan, why don't mm-hmm. you tell us about fairness in pricing or lack thereof? Yeah, this is a great topic. The
2: or it's it's an emotional and exciting topic, which I think is a great topic for a podcast. <laughs> And it stems from an email that I sent out to my list last week or so. I I just simply sent out a quick question and I asked people to let me know what they thought. What was their answer to this question? So it might be fun to just sort of ask you guys the question, kind of go around the room and get people's feel for their answer. And then I can talk about uh, the implications of the various types of answers, because I think there's a wide range. I, w- I would be kind of surprised if, if the four of us didn't represent at least some range of of the spectrum. Sound good? Okay. Cool. All right. So here's the question. Do you think it's fair for someone to charge you more for a product than they charge other people?
3: Can I get a clarification? When you say product, do you really mean like a, a standardized product? or? I picked those words very
2: specifically okay. knowing mm-hmm. that people were going to parse the hell out of them. So I, I specifically use the word product and I specifically use the word fair. So try to answer as if it was an email and you didn't have the opportunity to ask follow up questions. <laughs> we'll get into it though. Right, we'll so, definitely get into it.
1: So, so ask the question again, just so I can not
2: Do you parse. Think it, Sorry. Do you think it's fair for someone to charge you more for a product than they charge other people?
1: Yes, but I'll be annoyed when that happens.
2: (laughs) But that, so that's different than fair. So you think that it's, it's fair. Fair,
1: but annoying.
2: So why, what is annoying about it if it's not fair? What, what is violated?
1: Well, so like, I always want to feel like I managed to get a good deal. And by a good deal, I would prefer to think that I'm not paying more than others. So I don't think it's unfair to charge me. You know, for instance, there's this, there's this high speed highway in, uh, in Israel that goes to Tel Aviv and you pay according to the congestion. So like if someone before me goes in and pays something and then they sort of tick it up so that it's going to I'm going to have to pay more. I'm annoyed because if I just got there 30 seconds earlier, then I could have paid the lower price. But it's fair in that, well, there's more congestion. So, yeah, I guess I should pay more.
2: So this is really, this is one of the things that I think is interesting about the word fair is that I don't indicate fair to whom. So oh. you could interpret it as it's, you could interpret it as do you think it's fair for a seller to do this versus do you think it's um, fair to you for the, for pricing inconsistencies or price segmentation to be going on? Or I even asked a follow up question in a later day. Do you think it's fair for someone to charge you less for a product than they charge other people to try and get at the fairness, the sort of global notion of fairness? So like globally, do you think it's fair in general as a practice to sell a can of peas or some other relatively static product to different people for different amounts? So I was trying to, I was trying to get at the distinction between People who just had their nose out of joint, and they're just sort of like, "That's unfair. I got charged more than someone else." Versus, it's just globally unfair for people to set different prices for the same thing.
1: Yeah, so, so I reject that. I, re- I reject that out of hand.
2: You think it's totally fair for people to set their prices however they want?
1: It is fair, but I'm always going to hope that the, that it's not only fair to the seller to be able to charge different prices but it'll be advantageous to me in some way and I'll be able to, uh, you know, benefit from that disparity. Mm.
2: So now here's another thing that your question brings up, which is super interesting, which is that you use the, the, the thing that you use to calculate your reference number is what other people are paying instead of the value you got out of the thing. So there's, so people can't really, people are really bad at absolute value. They're really bad at saying, you know, is, is thing worth X? It's like, I don't know, compared to what, Mm -hmm. you know, but you could, you could say, well, compared to what other people are paying for it or what the market will bear or the going rate, terms like these and feel like you got a good deal because you paid maybe a little bit less than other people or the same as other people. But if you've got no ROI out of the thing, it's not a good deal. Like if you right. lost money on the purchase, it doesn't really, I mean, in my opinion, I'm on, I'm on the far end of the scale on one end of the scale. And, and it's the end where I don't care how much other people. it doesn't, it's utterly irrelevant to me how much somebody else paid for a thing. I don't even think about it. It is. It, and it's, I've always been like that. It's, I've just, it's just never crossed really? my mind. Yeah. It's never crossed my so mind. Like
4: you go into a store and buy whatever a set of headphones and then you find out, that you missed the sale by a day like that. Yeah, I
2: don't, I will never find care. that out. There's no way for me to find that out because I would never look. I don't care. I'm just that. Mm-hmm. It's just my personality. I've never been like that.
4: You, you know, I certainly I, look like perfect. I just bought a $500 you know, GPS watch and I looked a couple weeks. I looked at the Amazon price tracker and I was like, oh, if I bought it two weeks ago, it would be cheaper, right? Now I still bought on value, but it was like $100 cheaper a week before. Um, and like a month later, it's been a hundred dollars cheaper again. So I don't feel bad about that, which is funny, but I, like, I still understand what you're getting at. And there's times when I do feel bad, like, I think, oh, well, like my value has suddenly decreased because someone else paid less. Right.
2: Yeah. Or it's because weird. I,
4: got, I had to pay more, but I, I under like intellectually, I understand. I don't feel bad about the watch, but I still, when you first asked the question, I was looking at my mic and I thought, no, hmm, I just found out that I paid way more than someone else because Of some arbitrary reason, I would feel annoyed and angry. And like, I, my value was suddenly less, even though I bought it, looked at the value and said that is valuable to me at, you know, a hundred bucks.
2: Yeah. And I think that's, that's the more common feeling. I think people, I think it's pretty common to hear. Maybe it's just those people are louder because you do hear a lot of complaints about that sort of thing. And you see companies doing things like price matching because they know that people go, go crazy about shopping for the lowest price for a particular thing.
1: So right, I, mean, I think I, that's I, pretty normal. I I just recently, I guess it was like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago, I was in the convenience store near our house, and they had a sale on four bottles of wine for 100 shekels, which is like $25. And it was like pretty good wine. I was like, oh, this is actually like a pretty good deal. So I bought four bottles, and I was very smug and happy with myself. Less than a week later, I go to the like spice store downstairs from them, like literally downstairs from them, the same brand of wine, for five bottles for 100 shekels. And like, it doesn't mean the price I paid the previous week was bad, but I'm like, ugh, if only I had known, right? <laughs> and so I don't think it was unfair to have the same product at different prices and regardless of different stores, like even if it we're the same store. But I do feel like, you know, sort of, sort of, you know, I wish I'd been able to take advantage of this in a smarter way. I wish I'd been all knowing and thus able to, uh, able to price that better.
2: Yeah, yeah. My reaction to it would be then. This I swear, I swear, this is the true reaction that would happen to me. I'd be like, oh, sweet. Next time, I'm gonna buy it here. <laughs> I would. Yeah. It would not. I would be like, I will say that if I bought the the first, you know, I think you said four bottles for a hundred shekels, and it was horrible. Then I would have been like, then I would have been like, that was a that was not fair. Not, I, I don't think fair is the right word. I wouldn't use the word fair because I don't think it actually. I don't think the word fair can be applied to pricing it at all. But uh, I would be like, I got ripped off, and perhaps return the bottle of wine, or perhaps never go there again, or something like that. It would be some. I'd have some punitive action. That I would but you take see it and,
1: as ROI and value, not like good price, bad price versus other good price, bad price.
2: I just do not compare prices. I don't do it.
4: And yeah, I think like what I was saying, like people mix up and even myself sometimes fairness and value, right? So I pay more at the local outdoor gear store because I'd like to support local knowing full well I could buy it at another large retailer and pay less. But I buy local because I see value in supporting a local business. Right? No, sure. that's a sliding scale, right? On a twenty dollar item, if it's twenty-two bucks, sure. You know, if it was suddenly fifty bucks, I'd have to say no, because then the value isn't there
2: for it. Right, right, because the the value that you're paying for is the feel-good feeling. Yeah, and the feel good like, feeling is like not worth watch, fifty bucks. Right?
4: Right. I looked at it and it was a five hundred dollar watch and I looked at it from then, and it was seven hundred bucks, and I said, Hey, it's seven hundred bucks. And they're like, Ah, I'm sorry, that's the price we paid. And I was like, I just can't buy that. And they said, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> right? It wasn't yeah. worth two hundred. You know, it was worth fifty bucks. Sure, if it was five fifty, I would have paid it. Not like not even questioned,
2: but mm-hmm. two hundred was not worth it. Right, right. So, well, Philip, do you have a do you have a feeling on this? You're, a, <laughs> you're an aficionado of high end audio
3: gear. <laughs> I've been thinking about this ever since you uh, started your email series on this subject. I think that I have two categories of or t- like two types of decision making when it comes to price there's like I I realize I'm always kind of uh, there's like this idea that money's not like uh, for me uh, infinitely available, right? Like there's, I mean, I hate, I hate, sometimes I hate that mindset because I think it holds me back. But basically that, you know, there's X amount of money for X period of time and I'm making decisions about how to use that. And there's the sort of stuff that falls into like the no-brainer category. Like I, I'm more like you, Jonathan, in like, let's say I need to buy some piece of software and the value to me seems more than the price. Then I just, I don't think about it. I don't compare. I don't even anymore, you know, go to to those coupon sites to see if there's like a 20% off coupon code or whatever, right? I'm just like, let's, let's get this done and move on and not think about this anymore but then there's a some threshold and it just depends on the thing and the amount and all, it just depends on a lot of stuff and when it's over that threshold i really do scrutinize it and kind of become a little more like reuben where i'm like there's no way i'm going to overpay for this thing well, what? okay but how are you
2: calculating overpay that's the critical thing
3: well, there's this idea, which is probably a fantasy, that I mean, with with stuff like Camel 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 and price trackers and the internet, you, there's a feeling. I don't know if this is really true or not, but there's a feeling like I can understand what the lowest price that this sometimes gets sold for is. I can figure that out, and mm-hmm. that and so anything above that might be in the in the realm of overpaying. Anyway, those are kind of the two modes that I see myself operating in.
2: Mm. Yeah. I don't want it to come across like I, uh, like I just go spend money willy nilly on anything. That's not that it's that I, I don't compare the price that I, that is presented to me against what other people might have paid for the same thing. I compare it against how much value I'm going to get out of the thing.
3: Right. And that And, that value depends so much on the situation, doesn't it? Sure.
2: So like, so like if, um, you know, a a thing that I would historically spend virtually no money on, like buy the cheapest one would be something like a screwdriver because it's, you know, like a single use thing. Like I'm not, I'm not handy. I try to avoid ever touching a screwdriver. of any kind. So if there's some reason I need one, it's for some horrible project that I got roped into doing. And I just, you know, we don't have a Phillips head screwdriver. So I just, you know, we're at Home Depot and I just get the cheapest one on the wall because I'm going to use it once and it's going to break and that'll be fine. So there's just no value in it to me to spend 25 bucks on the best screwdriver they have because I I just don't care. But I'm not going to shop around at like 10 stores to find the cheapest screwdriver. I'm just going to find one that's cheap enough for me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Other end of this well,
4: that also brings here. in uh, maximizer okay. and Satisfizer,
3: too, right? Mm-hmm. You guys familiar with those terms? You just made that up, didn't you? No, I didn't. It's in
4: grit, <laughs> I think. It's like a look I mean, maximizer has to find the absolute best price, no matter what. So, if you buy a pair of jeans and say this is awesome, then they then then they see a cheaper pair of jeans. They literally the the value of the purchase goes down. They feel like they totally got ripped off. Or is the satisficer is like, what you just said, this is cheap enough for me, I'm good, doesn't think about
2: it again. Mm. I've never heard those terms before, but that was the response I got from the list, which there's a, there's a, a roughly equal number of people who are, are in those two camps. So the, the reason why, why does this matter, freelancers, this matters because you set prices for stuff and you need to sell to people like people from, well... You don't have to sell to people in both camps, but you should be aware that those two camps exist. And I submit to you that one of those camps is much better clients than the other camp. But we could debate. We no, debate. which one
4: do you think is better?
2: Uh, the ones who are not shopping for the cheapest price. They're looking for the one that has so. and. The ones that are value shoppers, which I would call, yeah. I guess they're satisfizers. Satisfizer, yep. Yeah. Yeah, so the ones that are shopping for the best value are the ones you're looking for, not the ones who are going to I think the other ones create the race to zero. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, when people are criticizing you because everyone if you if you offer the exact same price for uh, let's let's stick with products because it's less emotional and it's easier to talk about. If you, you know, I have an ebook, I sell the ebook. If if I just Sell that ebook for 49 bucks, full stop. I don't care if you want an educational discount. I don't care if you want a coupon. I don't care if you want to order a hundred of them. It's 49 bucks, period. A lot of people would say that's fair because that's the price of the thing. That is like an attribute of the product. It is priced at $49. It's simple. It's clean. It's easy to understand. There could not possibly be anything unfair about that to a certain group of people. To another group of people, they will think that's That's very unfair to people who maybe have less purchasing power. You know, like the ones that I just list the things that I just listed out. So educational discount discounts, senior citizens, discounts, bulk purchase discounts. It seems totally unfair to a certain group of people that I wouldn't offer those sorts of things. So it's, I feel like it's sort of, you're going to tick somebody off no matter how you decide to do it. So just pick one to sell to and, and go for it and don't, Sort of acquiesce to the other group because trying to acquiesce acquiesce to both groups probably end up putting you in a an uncomfortable you know in a in an unwinnable situation where you're kind of racing to zero, but you don't have the flexibility to do the the pricing that you want to do. Does it seem like a fair observation, or do people think that you could successfully sell to both groups?
1: I think mean, you can sell to both groups, but it's going to be hard. Well, for, first of all, like. I think much of your advice, Jonathan, like in general, and especially here, but in general is try to find uh was it the satisfices or try to try to find the people who are not gonna search infinitely long for the cheapest, right? Who who are interested in maximum ROI. And you can work with both kinds of clients. It'll feel more satisfying to work with this kind of client. But it's also um challenging for many people to get to the point. Where they have the luxury of choosing only those clients that work in this way or choose price in this way. Um, Granted, I'll go yes. it a little further. I'll, I'll go a little further than that and say, I think there's a large cultural aspect here as well. Um, I mean, I know in Israel, like people often say, the national religion in Israel is not to be considered a sucker, <laughs> right? Like, and basically, like you get on a plane and people, I mean, they don't do it so much anymore, but for years they would compare prices with the people sitting next to them. And like, then feel either satisfied or dissatisfied that they got a cheaper price. And people would compare prices on everything. And so there's definitely a sense of you don't want to be sort of shown as having paid more than you should have. And I think here in China, like, I, I've seen similar tendencies. And so if you have an entire like culture where the business is running that way, um, it's going to be hard to find, not impossible, but hard to find the people who are willing to sort of hear the the value pricing argument or who are not going to constantly say, but so-and-so is cheaper. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the
2: the solution there, I I think Philip can jump in on this, but the solution there is to create a monopoly of, you know, a a market of one, which is you basically. So you need to differentiate yourself so strongly that there's nothing to compare you to. It's just totally apples and oranges and
1: you're the only apple, but that's hard too. That's hard, but that's 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 a good hedge against that sort of issue. I totally agree. Mm-hmm.
3: Particularly with products, pricing is is a big part of the overall positioning of the product. So it's not really like a separate attribute that you can just like it, like if if all of a sudden BMWs cost uh, twenty thousand dollars instead of whatever they cost, it's not like the the market that BMW sells to now would be happy about that. I don't think they would be in fact. I think they would be like "Well, WTF my status symbol is no longer a status symbol or you know like even if they couldn't articulate it over over the, a decade or two BMW would be a, a very different brand and it would not be a high-end brand. So mm-hmm. there's you know when, when you're talking about like uh, modulating price for different markets I think what, what am I trying to say? It, it's I mean, the traditional thing is you you have a sort of low end and a high end brand. If you want to capture more of the market by modulating price, I know that mm-hmm. gets away from the fairness question, but maybe that's part of. I mean, I don't think that's the biggest reason why separate brands are are uh, spun up, where it's essentially the same product just packaged and marketed differently. I think yeah, it's like
2: big, Toyota Lexus.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, there's the differentiation there is somewhere between superficial and and like um you know like a foundational difference but that that's a great example it's um i mean you know here in uh, the neighboring town santa rosa where all the car dealerships are uh, those two dealerships are you know like a thousand feet apart <laughs> they're on the same road they're but in a in a bigger town they would be in different parts of town right in order to connect more closely with their customers Anyway, I think my overall point is it's more complicated than just changing the price. Like uh a friend of mine who sells an ebook and I have had this ongoing conversation about like is it worth worth it for him to invest the time? He, he sells an ebook that appeals to software developers and in particular testers, right? So mm-hmm. he has a ton of customers in India which has much less purchasing power than the person in an equivalent job role here in the States or in Western Europe or whatever so like this is a real question does he find some way to expose a different price a lower price to the, the India market like based on an IP address lookup or something like that and <laughs> he hasn't come to a conclusion yet but it's like a real question as to would, would he sell more books doing that it's not really for him a question of fairness uh, what he would do is just try to set the price so it's this equivalent amount of uh, money when being sold to somebody in India versus a sale to someone here in the U.S.
2: Right, but it's not a question of fairness.
3: No, I, in, so maybe I just muddy, muddied the waters there, but uh, this is how I see that question come up is in, in a context like that.
2: Mm. Yeah, I mean, personally... And it doesn't matter that I think this because people disagree with me and I have to sell to those people and I'm not going to have the opportunity to change their mind about it by talking to them first. But personally, I don't think the word fair even makes sense in the context of pricing. It's like saying, what color is Tuesday? It's like, is this price fair? It's like, what does that even mean? Compared to what? You know, yeah. fair fair is like... You know, you know, barring things like extortion and the legal definition of, you know, basically barring breaking the laws, there are no rules in a free market really about uh, about about pricing. There are some norms that certain groups of people feel should be the rules or are acceptable behavior or social mores around pricing, but there are no rules, and so it's hard. It's hard for something to run afoul when there are not that many rules. So assuming that you're staying within legal bounds, I think it's impossible. It's strong, but I think it's impossible to call a price unfair. It might be a good price for you or a bad price for you, or it might be profitable or unprofitable, but fair, I don't even think is, is an appropriate word to use to describe a price.
3: Yeah. Like, I mean, there's so many examples of anything like my, the book I sell, the value depends on what somebody does with it like I can't know that in advance of the sale I don't know if someone's going to park it on their hard drive and never read it or if it's going to change their business and they're going to you know start making an extra $100,000 a year because of that book. Both are possible. And neither do they. Neither do they. (laughs) Exactly. I mean same thing with a lot of things exercise equipment. You know, who knows if it's going to just sit in your basement after being used for two weeks or if it's going to change your life. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, so much of the value of something comes from the context in which it's used or applied.
2: So speaking of value, I'm always banging on about value pricing, which was the, the reason why I kind of initiated this question on the list. And if people, you know, people listening are thinking, yeah, you know, I fall into this camp or I fall into that camp about or disagree with them. say, no, there are such things as a fair or an unfair price or they they do get you know ticked off when they find out the person sitting next to them on the plane paid less like that's i'm not saying i'm not discounting that i'm saying i don't feel that way but it's real so the 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 reason why that is i think important to think about and be self-conscious or have a self-awareness about with you dear listener is if you're thinking about doing value pricing i I think you will find it very difficult to do value pricing well if you believe that there's fairness in pricing. Those two things don't really map to each other, and I have zero scientific evidence about this, but a, a lot of anecdotal evidence that is starting to look like a pattern, where people in my coaching program who who are very price conscious shoppers. So the the what are they called maximizers or max maxillary <laughs> maximizers. Maximizers. Oh, I thought it was weirder than that. Oh, satisficers. That's the weird one. Okay, so satisficers.
4: Yes, it's the weird one.
2: Yeah. Okay. So maximizers would again not discounting that mentality. It's real and people do it. It's just not me. But those people are going to appear. There appears to be a correlation between people who think that way about pricing and their ability to value price because they feel like they're being unfair because there are cheaper options so it's very difficult for a person who thinks that way to you know charge a rate that is going to effectively amount to them making a thousand or two thousand dollars an hour it's tough for them to justify it in their own minds and therefore it's tough to justify it to the customer so if you're nodding along with this, you know, oh that's why i have such a hard time believing that value pricing is actually a, something that works or something that might be good for my business might be better to think about doing productized services like we've talked about in the past where you sort of say hey i do this thing this is the price take it or leave it and you know maybe you offer discounts sometimes or maybe you have educational discounts for a training or whatever it is you offer but it might be a better fit for your personality to think about posting prices more like a menu where it's out in the open and there's not as much of a negotiation. And I I just think it might be a a better, uh, route to success for people. So that's why I thought it'd be interesting to talk about.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, look, I, um, I've been trying to edge up my course prices over the last year. And, um, so I've been sort of testing the waters with some of my established clients and not testing the waters with my new clients. By that I mean what my old clients, every so often, like I guess like once a year, maybe every eight months or so, I'll say, so I'm starting to raise my prices on their clients, I'd like to raise them on you. And I, I know that they have just sort of different ways of working. Like one one company in particular has sort of an internal marketplace. And so the people in charge can tell me, like, if I raise the price by X, you know, what will happen to the number of people who take the course? And they said, look, you could raise it, but the number of courses that will actually open will drop because we've seen people just don't go for it at that price. All right, so I'm willing to keep it lower. But if a new company calls me up, I just start giving them like much higher quotes and they've balked a little bit, but they I mean one company said, Well, we're not going to pay that much for a course. And I said, Okay. <laughs> and I think they were so <laughs> I said, okay, I'll, I'll find someone else to fill that time. And I think they were so shocked that I said that, they called me back and said, okay, we'll do it at that price. Now, is it unfair that I'm charging a new client for one course much more than I'm charging a company that has probably 10 times as much in revenue, 100 times as much in revenue as they do, and can afford more? I don't know. Like, <laughs> no, I say I, I
2: absolutely gotta... not. Unfair is the wrong word, in my okay. humble opinion.
1: So, so so it's not unfair, but they it would
2: be unfair if you were holding a gun to their head, or you were the <laughs> only option, and it was an absolute emergency, and it was you had them over a barrel. That's the phrase you you got me over a barrel, and you're gonna does <laughs> sh- this is a shakedown? You know, that's people people go to those sorts of phrases pretty quickly, but they are not act they are not literal; they are figurative, and it's not actually a shakedown. I don't actually have you over a barrel. You could there are a hundred other options. If you're looking for someone cheaper, I'll give you the names. Right. So it's right. not. It, it's not. It cannot. In my mind, in my heart of hearts, <laughs> there's no rational argument for for anyone to call that unfair.
1: Moreover, it's like the thing is. It's also a complicated calculation because in my case, for example, I could just make all of my prices the same, but then I'm sort of max, I'm I'm not maximizing my income, mm-hmm. and by keeping them different. I'm then taking into consideration not just how much am I going to get on this course, but how many additional courses will I get in the future and how likely are they to work with me in the future? All of which enter into that calculus. Mm-hmm. So I'm, so, so it's only fair, like, and I guess this is sort of the converse of what you said before. It's only fair that if I'm willing to do this to my clients and charge them different amounts, mm-hmm. that I shouldn't possibly get upset when I find that other people are paying different amounts for things that I'm buying.
2: Well, if, if people were never hypocritical, then that would be the case <laughs> but that I do. I do think that it is a hypocritical, uh, stance to take that, that you believe that you should be able to charge whatever you want to whoever you want. Uh, but you know, you, but as a buyer, you're allowed to get angry about, I mean, hypocritical is strong because it, it doesn't really matter because you just, you don't have to pay the higher price. You can do whatever you want. I just think it's going to be, it's really hard for people who take that stance of wanting the cheapest price for most things rather than the best ROI and, and then trying to turn around and make sales using an approach that would not work on them. Mm -hmm. There's a, there's a, a sales thing in the sales industry. Uh, There's a thing called shopping with your own wallet. Which is uh, actually, I think, a pretty bad way of describing the scenario, but it's a scenario that's easy to imagine. Which is that you know you're a salesperson, you are making ten bucks an hour, you don't have a lot of disposable income, but you're selling ten thousand dollar watches, or you know you're selling three hundred and fifty dollar headphones, and people are coming in who are maybe more well-heeled than you, let's say, and you're talking them out of stuff that you wouldn't pay for because you don't think that the uh, that the price differential is worth it, because to you, it isn't. So it screws up your whole sales approach, and it's a very common thing, where people talk, you know, oh, you don't want that phone. You don't want to get that phone. Just get this Android phone. It's free with contract. You can just top up your minutes at, at any T-Mobile store. You know, someone says that to me, and I walk out of the store. Like, <laughs> First of all, I'm not buying the cheapest phone. Second of all, I'm not stopping and topping up my minutes in the T-Mobile store like the person is selling the person's selling to themselves instead of selling to me so i i think that's a risk if you you know dear listener if you are always a price shopper and you're going to try to sell to people who are not price shoppers it makes it i think a lot more difficult it's harder to empathize with what's going on in their heads in in my opinion i've certainly seen that in my students where they just re- rebel people who are price shoppers you know, for things that they shouldn't even be thinking about, you know, like inconsequential in shopping around for something that's utterly inconsequential. Like someone who makes $200 an hour spending two days researching something that costs $10. It makes no sense. So, you know, but that's just, you know, it's like you said with the plane, it's like a game. It's like the national pastime to not be a sucker. So, you know, when they, when I try to say, you know, no, you got to, you should be charging these people based on the value to them and it should be 50 grand for the weekend. And they're like, no, how could I, that's only you know 16 hours. That's, it can't possibly, somebody will undercut me, blah, blah, blah.
4: I think something that, uh, I know cause I've read about the maximizers and satisficers is that you usually have areas that you're, that you fall into that in. Right. Like i'll look at some outdoor gear and spend a bunch of time i have five ultra running packs to run through the mountains and i'm looking all over for it most people would look many people would look at that and maybe some of you and say well this one looks good and be okay with it at the value but i will dig deep into you know five or six of these and try them on and really dig into them before i spend a couple hundred dollars on them and i'm not mm. so in other areas, I won't. I won't even care. I'll just make the purchase because it's valuable and be done.
2: I don't know if I, I do that too, but I think it's two different things. So I'll do that with guitars. Like I'm not buying a guitar mm. that I'm not in love with. Yeah. But I don't shop around. So it's a different. I don't shop around for price. I'll shop around for the perfect guitar. See what I mean? So because I have an in-depth, uh, you know, it's I have a music degree. I've been playing guitar for. 30 years I you know I have a highly refined taste for uh, guitars in the way that some people might have for wine or beers or something so the the nuances of the thing matter because you've developed that taste but I still don't shop around for the lowest price necessarily I mean if I can afford the thing which which sometimes I can't.
3: How then would you decide where to make the purchase after doing all that research?
2: I would probably have fallen in love with a particular instrument and there would be no option.
3: Oh, like something like, handmade I can either or, it or I can't. Yeah. Okay. Or something vintage where there's just that one and it, that's your only option for getting that.
2: Uh, yeah, pretty ID. much. Okay. I mean, even a, even a, even a production guitar is like a pair of jeans. They're all different. So if oh, there's a I particular see. one that, yeah. So it's kind of like, uh, I'm not going to say, Oh, where's the, where's the, where's the cheapest Fender Strat? Mm hmm. So I I don't know maybe I'm making a distinction without a difference but uh, it's not that I never shop around for stuff I just don't consider price that much and and I certainly don't it's not that I, okay let me say that one more time I don't compare the price to essentially the same product price that other people paid for the essentially the same product I compare it to the value I'm going to get for the thing in my hands. So if it's like if if the price is good enough, regardless of whether it's a cheap screwdriver that I could care less about, I'll probably throw away in 24 hours, or a four thousand dollar Paul Reed Smith with a you know flame top maple handmade guitar, I'm gonna I'm still not gonna shop around on price. I just don't do it. Or maybe like again, maybe I'm I don't know if I'm too far down the rabbit hole to even understand that I'm saying the same thing as Curtis, but. I think it's a subtle but important difference.
3: I think it's a, a worthwhile distinction because that really is the goal of, of narrowing your focus and, and structuring your services in a certain way so that there are no other options. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. that one, you know, Martin D-whatever <laughs> that you've mm-hmm. been, yeah. you know, every, every week you go by the store and fondle it, like that's the only one that is exactly what you want. And there is mm-hmm. no other option. And and that means that you get to pay the price that's been set for that instrument. That I mean, not that kind of instrument, but that exact one. And uh, so I think it is relevant that you would develop over time like almost this emotional bond with a particular instance of something where there are alternatives, but there's not, nothing that's exactly like that.
2: I yeah, know. I totally agree. There's a strong relationship there. It's not like it's a little bit... I mean, know how they work, but I'm wondering if there's a a theory that we can abstract out of it that is a direct a corollary or, you know, sort of a relationship to the, the, the maximizer satisfies thing. that, that there might be sort of a quadrant happening here. That's utterly fascinating to me.
3: I'll share an interesting story from the world of high-end uh, personal audio. There's a company called Hi-Fi Man. They're a Chinese company. And they make uh, a range of products, but they're, I think, most well known for their headphones. When they started out, they were a, a very—they were positioned as a very solid value option, meaning, you know, people would use terms like, "Wow, well, these really compared to much more expensive headphones from other manufacturers—they um, punch above their weight." You know, people would use phrases like that to describe them. So, what that meant is that there was a perception in the marketplace. That the price you paid was less than mm, just the sort of overall total package of quality and uh, ability to per, you know performance ability, and um, and so they were they were in that category and and they kind of operated there for years. Uh, just this past, just in the last year, I think really the last six months, they introduced a, a headphone that was is priced at six thousand dollars. And before that, so there was kind of in the the early stages of the company, I don't think they sold anything that was a headphone that cost more than $1,000, $1,100 maybe. And then they kind of introduced a few models that are in the $1,000 to $2,000 price bracket. What was interesting when they introduced the $6,000 headphone was the reaction from the more vocal members of the headphone buying marketplace which was a very negative reaction and it's really interesting to think about that because in light of this discussion about pricing because there is i think a relationship between the price you set for something and and your your sort of brand or your perception as like uh, a company that can actually justify that price like if every you know, if every product you've ever <laughs> done before was in the, you know, two hundred to one thousand dollar range, and then all of a sudden you produce this product that's six thousand dollars, people ask a lot of questions <laughs> that they don't ask about your other products.
2: And it it's, like the seventeen thousand dollar Apple Watch. It was by far the most expensive product that Apple had ever sold in a category that they'd never even been in
3: before. Right. Yeah and i bet the i bet the conversation the sort of tone of the conversation it's very critical it's like almost like who are they to do that mm-hmm. or how in the world is that worth that price that's ridiculous did did apple end up discontinuing that i forget
2: they've certainly minimized it uh, it's no longer talked about so i don't know if they they certainly never publicly said they were
3: discontinuing it mm-hmm. to my knowledge but it's it's not
2: talked about and now they talk about the support ones
3: it sounds like it kind of didn't work to either anchor the price of the other options or transform some segment of the market's perception of Apple
2: or whatever, right? right? It, it, it appears to be that way. Yeah.
3: Anyway, I, I don't know really what the point. I just wanted to share that story because it it seems relevant. It, it was certainly interesting to me. I, I, I had the same reaction. I'm like, wait a second. Here's a company that's not really... They're known for what you get for the lower price is... Decent quality, but not the best of anything. And now they're kind of pricing it as if this product is the best of everything. And um, very few people uh, re- were enthusiastically positive about that uh, that new price point for them.
2: Sure. Yeah, it's like Apple going up against Rolex. It's like, oh, we can be Rolex. Right. It's like, mm, maybe, but you better come out swinging pretty hard. And they didn't. I yeah. mean, appear, all indications appear that they that was not successful Mm -hmm. even as an anchor i don't even think it's listed on their site anymore so Mm -hmm. it's not even being used as a price anchor right Right. so what does this mean for freelancers though so we're talking about watches and headphones and, and cars and airplane seats so it's building your brand as you know as an expert at a particular thing for which there's really no real competition right i mean that's That's the nuts and bolts of it. And then deciding how you're going to price it based on your worldview about fairness and pricing or if such a thing can even exist. I think that's kind of what we're saying.
1: Right. I mean, look, one of the things that a lot of freelancers struggle with is how do they price what they're doing? And it's so easy to say, "Okay, I'm going to price, you know, don't listen for a moment, Jonathan. I'm going to price every hour. At this, or I'm going to price every day at this. Or I'm going to price working on a project of this, and every time they see a similar project, they feel almost obligated, out of a sense of hold your ears again, Jonathan, out of a sense of fairness, to charge the same thing because it wouldn't be nice, fair, acceptable to charge different clients different amounts for roughly the same work.
2: But it so turns isn't, out isn't that funny? everyone's doing that. <laughs> right. Isn't that funny? Right? Because ultimately, the the end goal that the client wants is different in virtually every case. I mean, it's hard to imagine a scenario where two companies are in the exact same situation. They want you in particular to do the exact same thing. That's going to have the exact same outcome for them. So the fairness comes from, Oh, well I'll price my hours the same, but the company doesn't want your silly hours. That's not what they're buying, but it it's, it has this illusion of fairness because you're not monkeying around with your price. But the price that you're not monkeying around with is for a thing that no one wants but have they have bought into the collective hallucination that that's how professional services are purchased and since no one will give them an actual price for the outcome that they want they don't have a lot of options other than, than hourly assistance which mm-hmm. is, is one of the things that you first uh, start to hear when you do start giving prices for things instead of estimates for things clients are like not, they won't even, like, it, plenty of times have been like, you're going to give us an actual price? And then, you know, and, and I actually go come out and say, and there will be no change orders. There will be nothing. This is the price, not a dime more. And they can't believe it. They're just in heaven. And it's, it's. I mean, that's why I'm on this, I'm sort of on a crusade to rid the earth of hourly billing because it, I think it's so bad for everyone. It's bad for the person doing it and it's bad for the person who's uh, buying it because you haven't priced a thing. You have not priced anything. You sell stuff that you never price. You sell something that you have never set a price for. That's unfair if you ask me. If you're going to find unfairness in pricing. It's the it's not pricing but charging people. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, if I, I want to puncture the notion of fairness and I want people to set prices and I want them to set them in a way that they are going to be comfortable supporting and making a case for, to the kinds of clients that they're going to sell to. You don't have to be like me or sell to clients that I like to sell to. You can sell to your own kind or my kind. I don't care. But I think it's important to have sort of self awareness around a, that you're pricing at all in the first place and B the kind of pricing you use how you feel about it and the kinds of buyers that you should try to attract or, uh, or when you do attract ones that aren't a good fit for you, you just say, well, we're not a good fit. I'll send you to someone else. That would be my hope.
1: All right. I think we could go on this topic a lot more. I have a strong feeling about that, but we should probably, we should probably, uh, start to wrap up and maybe get to picks. Does anyone have any other things they want to add on this subject? Okay. Silence. Um. So, Jonathan, why did you start with uh, with picks for today? Sure. a first
2: pick is a book, in my case it was an audio book, called Leviathan Wakes, which is the first book in the Expanse series. It's a sci-fi book that takes place something like 500 years in the future. I could be wrong, but something like that. Um, It's just. Uh, I won't bore you with the details, but it's just a fabulous.
4: You can't book. get bored with the
2: details. That's the thing about the book. You, you read, <laughs> it I've
4: read it? It's great. I read the is. whole series. They're great. I pre-ordered them as they come out. Oh, They're awesome. I, I
1: just watched the TV series. I haven't read the book, but it was that, very, that was also very good. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. I, it's right up there with some of my favorite sci-fi books of all time. It is great, and I'm, I'm only I've only finished the second book, so no spoilers. <laughs> I'm already already plowing into the third. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think I
4: read them all in like two weeks because they were just so good. I kept going through them and I was like, oh, there's more. (laughs) And pre-ordered and waited for like six months. And now I'm waiting for the next one. Mm,
2: So good. Mm -hmm. And my other pick is a podcast that is called uh, Earmuffs for any kids in the room. It is called My Dad Wrote a Porno.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> it
2: is th- the funniest thing I'll, ever. So I'll give you the premise. 65 year old guy, retired salesman writes an erotic novel in the style of 50 shades of gray, thinking that he's sort of going to you know, make a, uh, make a side hustle in his retirement. He's going to make some money on Amazon selling these uh, erotic novels his son finds out this is this is real like this happened a guy did this his you know 25 year old son finds out about it and (laughs) tells his friends and they decide to do a podcast of of the the son one of his friends or two friends a guy and a girl where the son reads a chapter and they just comment on it throughout the reading it, and, and the writing is epically bad. It is so hilariously bad that it's just—it's con- constantly. I'm constantly doubled over laughing so at how hilarious it is.
3: it's—it's it's like Mystery Science Theater 3000, but a, but for, a book. But about a book, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it is a scream.
2: It's way, way, way not safe for work, though. I mean, it's just constant. I mean, he's reading a—he's reading a porno, basically. But it's so bad. It's so bad that Dad is such a bad writer that, sorry, Dad, that he forgets the names of his own characters at one point. (laughs) They're like, who's Donna? He's like, I think he means Bella. (laughs) So It's so fabulously bad that it's good. Anyway, (laughs) my, my dad wrote a porno. Check it out
1: okay uh how do you good. follow that up eh?
4: Oh,
2: i've
1: got to follow it up <laughs> great
4: since we talked about satisficers versus maximizers i thought i would my pick today will be the link from gretchen rubin for her 2006 article talking about it if you want to know more and then she wrote um what's the book i've read I should have actually read the book, but she does The Happiness Project, and she has a podcast with it as well. The Happiness Project book uh, is great, and I've certainly heard her on podcasts a bunch of times, uh, and in a few other places, I've heard the term as well. So if you want to dig more into that and what it means, then you should go read the article and then look at her material on it. Ultimately, if you want to be the happiest, you should be a satisficer, not a maximizer. Boom. Okay. Hello, what you got
3: for us? I got nothing this week. <laughs>
1: Sorry, uh, folks. Six thousand
3: dollar headphones. headphones. <laughs> <laughs> I, I cannot pick those because uh, I have not heard them myself, and also uh, have a feeling they may not be worth nearly that much. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, nothing this week.
1: All right. Well, I've got uh, two picks. So first of all, um, an article that I had looked at just came out recently, which uh, our whole discussion reminded me of from the Atlantic. The uh, title is How Online Shopping Makes Suckers of Us All. Um, and this is like basically the maximizer approach to things, which is if I, you know, if that, if the subhead is, will you pay more for those shoes before 7 p.m.? Would the price tag be different if you lived in the suburbs? Standard prices and simple discounts are giving way to far more exotic strategies designed to extract every last dollar from the consumer. So this is like the extreme maximizer, um, approach. And the, hey, I am being charged a penny more than my neighbor, thus things are unfair. So, um, at the very least, I mean, even if you don't agree with the, uh, what they're saying in the article, sort of interesting to see how the internet is setting this up and changing people's perceptions, um, and maybe just sort of thinking about it as well. Uh, the other one is, um, I, North Korea has been in the news a little bit, and I have this, um, occasional, Interest in North Korea is just like a, a, a weird, crazy place. Um, and I, I read a book a few years ago uh, about it, uh, which was really great. And there's this other book by this guy named Victor Cha, who served on the U.S. National Security Council. And it's called The Impossible State, North Korea, Past and Future. And it is gripping, perhaps a little too much detail about various meetings among different people in different countries. But he goes into truly astonishing and horrifying detail about what life is like in North Korea and why the world is basically stuck and why things are you know, not as simple as they might seem, why, why they're more complex than anyone would have known, um, to quote someone. So <laughs> so de- de- definitely, uh, if you're interested in that sort of uh, history and politics and figuring out why why the world is more complex than we might have uh, hoped, uh, definitely definitely worth looking at. Um, and I might add certain chapters you will not want to read uh, while you are eating lunch or anything else as they'll be going through. Uh, they, they, they describe some of the torture in uh, rather graphic detail. And on that happy note, dear listeners, uh, <laughs> hope that uh, this, this past hour hasn't been uh, torture for you. Uh, thanks to my fellow panelists. Thanks to all of you for listening. And we'll be back next week. See yeah. Bye. Ciao.